0: Do you want to get into real estate but don't know where to start? Do you think your current job gives you no experience at all? Today, our guest is Mario Lancioni. Find out how he started in real estate and how working with others helped him to grow in the space. Find all that and more today. We provide real estate investors with the tools to achieve generational wealth. I'm Bud Evans, your host. Welcome to the Aim High Podcast. Good day, High Flyers. Welcome to the Aim High Podcast. Today, I'm here with Mario Lancioni. Mario, how are you doing? I'm doing great, Bud. How you doing? I'm doing great, man. It's always good when I get to talk to somebody cool. Do me a favor. Tell me about yourself.
1: I've been doing real estate full-time for about five years now. Uh, before real estate, I was a corporate America sales guy. So did that for almost 10 years. And the last three, I transitioned out of corporate America because I saw not only the writing on the wall, but they were definitely trying to squeeze me out of the company. And I had a feeling that I needed to do something good the attorney at the time that I, uh, he actually helped me negotiate a contract to stay with the company because I was going to leave. He told me, you need to park your money that you're going to make over these five years into something that's an asset. And I really didn't know what an asset looked like or what he meant. I was thinking stock market. And then a light bulb went off. I'm like, let me take a look at what assets look like. And I did a seriously, a Google search and real estate was one, stocks, bonds, mutual funds. And I'm like, you know, real estate I've rented my whole life with my mom, and I was still renting at the time. I'm like, dude, it's probably a good play to do real estate. So, I started buying real estate in that buffer in that nine-year window. So I'd say on the back end, and I collected a couple duplexes and saw the cash flow come in. And I actually, left. I had two years left on a contract that was about two hundred eighty thousand dollars a year. I left two hundred eighty thousand a year on the table with two years left because. I was just rolling. I was rolling through properties. I knew how to do the burst strategy, had some nice investors with favorable rates, and it positioned me to exit corporate America. And it was cool, man. I haven't looked back and I love everything I do and what I do on a day-to-day basis.
0: What was one of the first deals that you had? First deals
1: I had, which I would suggest anybody doing, I consulted in a very hyper-focused realtor who knew Oakland? It's a duplex I still own, and it was it's a it was a very safe investment. It was uh, I bought it FHA. I lived in one side for about six months, and uh, had a current existing tenant of five years, and she was a great paying tenant, which was a turnkey duplex. So I put three and a half percent down, uh, house hacked it, I'd say, and then after I did that, I moved out, rented it out when I moved, and. Uh, Probably net about six hundred dollars a month on it, and it showed me the power of one house hacking and then two cash flow. I can go to sleep and I'm still making six hundred bucks a month versus going out selling door to door like I was doing at corporate America. (laughs) So yeah, that was my first deal FHA turnkey duplex, and it introduced me of how to be a landlord, how to have landlord conversations with tenants, and uh, navigating through townships, CO inspections, and, and those type of things that people overlook as investors. And I learned a lot of those, those little pain points or
0: choke points. That's a great market. What did you wind up paying for it when you bought it? Uh, It was about 170 in Oakland, which is
1: pretty solid as a turnkey. If we're looking at it, fast forward down.
0: You got out of that. You didn't have to do anything to it. It was a turnkey. You just basically found it by networking with real estate agents.
1: It was like a referral. I asked someone, do you know a realtor? Just so happens, she was good. She knew the market. She really helped me understand like, hey, this is what your rate would look like. And then the cash flow. I wouldn't say she was a, a realtor that was investor friendly. She just knew the basics of the area, the basics of if this is a mortgage, this is what you could rent it out to. And uh, so it was, I didn't do a lot of networking then. I didn't understand the concept of how important it is,
0: but yeah,
1: she was like a godsend, I'd say. I was very lucky to have okay. her.
0: Yeah, awesome. And you continued down that path. I did. The next property I bought was in South
1: Philadelphia. So when I moved out, I used my second FHA loan to buy a a two bedroom one and a half in Point Breeze, which I did mm-hmm. occupy and live there. And uh, that's what I really I called home. So I would say that was like an investment that I lived in, and then eventually moved out. It was a very it was a gentrified area. It was being gentrified. Mm-hmm. The point I moved was when there were some gunshots that were literally, there were bullet cases that were out front of my place. It was that Mm -hmm. dangerous. I moved to an apartment probably like after six months of living there too. Then I rented it out to a couple of med students in Penn. And that was my second rental that I lived in for a little bit again, kind of house hacked it. And then it wasn't great. I might've made 50 bucks net per month, but I looked at it the long-term, the appreciation of the market. And uh, that property I bought was, I bought that for 220 in Point Breeze. And it has a rooftop, like 360 degree view. And to this day, it, at minimum, it's worth like 380 So the appreciation was great. My ex-girlfriend at the time, I remember her dad came, he's like, investment, bad neighborhood. And I'm like, I'm telling you, this is going to change. It's just part of the process here in Philly with the 10-year tax abatement and stuff. It turned because there was a bunch of young guys like me or gals that saw the opportunity and saw the changes, and, and we just bought it at the right at the right time.
0: That whole Point Breeze Brewery Town area, that you know, that section really has come up in the past five or six years. I tried to get my son bu- to buy down there. You know what? And
1: back then too, it was considered overpaying. What I paid for it, it looked like I was overpaying, and in hindsight, I didn't overpay. I actually got it at a great price, and then it. it taught me a couple of things. I remember sitting at the closing table and it was like a Russian guy with his realtor. And the Russian guy was looking at doing another similar, like new build ground up. And I look back now and I'm like, if that Russian guy just kept a bunch of those new builds, he'd be in now, but he'd be in Croatia probably right now, hanging out on a boat.
0: So what are you working on now? What current projects do you have currently going on?
1: So what I'm working on right now is a lot of wrap deals. So I like to buy properties, whether they're seller finance, subject to, and then on the back end, I'll wrap them with a uh, tenant buyer. Uh, Mm -hmm. Really the tenant buyer part is my wife. So I would call her the dispo of our tenant buyers. And the nice shit we carved out is I'm good at the acquisition part. She's good at uh, recruiting. She's Spanish. So she gets a lot of these great Latin tenant buyers that have a nice chunk of change to put down She builds them an amortization schedule and helps them get approved with a lender. If they need to build their credit or fix their credit, she does that. We're not only with just Latin tenant buyers, but that seems like it's a big bulk of our exit strategy on the wrap deals. I'd say that's really what my focus has been. It's been good on the, uh, we call it like three paydays. We get a down payment, cash flow, and then we get cashed out. And, uh, but yeah, I'm looking at maybe getting into the multi-space we talked before recording just needed to kind of partner. It's more of a team dynamic, so I need to get a couple other good pieces in place to make sure it makes sense because I can't carry the burden in multifamily by yourself. Like you can with say singles and you know that. So I definitely need to orchestrate a good squad.
0: Let's talk about sub two and seller financing and the rat because we cater to help people learn about generational wealth and how to create it. Tell yeah. me a little bit about exactly how you find a sub two property and then what exactly a wrap would be? Sure.
1: Seller finance and sub two properties are two different sellers. Mm -hmm. You can go directly to the seller to get it or work with agents. I have a great ton of success working through agents and I'll just explain the agent route. What I see is any listing that's over 120 days, you will see agents be willing to pitch us, let's say subject to deal Mm -hmm. to their client. The client wants, let's say, two hundred and sixty, and their existing mortgage is $240,000. And what happens is the client doesn't have enough money to come to the closing table to make up the difference. So when I talk to the agent about doing a subject to, I'll say, what I could do is I could pay your commission. I could take over the existing mortgage and put a couple bucks in the seller's hands instead of them having to come to the closing table. There's certain questions you have to ask to see if they're open to it. But if they are, you basically acquire the note that the seller has for, say, $240,000. I do a living trust. So I do a living trust to make sure I have deed, the possession of the deed. And then after that, I will then find a tenant buyer for, say, two eighty, And the tenant okay. buyer will pay me a $20,000 down payment. Uh, they will pay more than what the mortgage is so I can make that cash flow or arbitrage that that income. And then we have a later date that they cash me out, whether it's a year or three years, or sometimes we create our own 30-year amortization schedules depending on the length of time that they need to cash it out. So that's the wrap side. Seller finances are sellers that own it free and clear. They don't really need the money, but they're willing to be the bank and charge you points on our interest rate on them holding the mortgage. The existing building I'm in right now, the owner seller financed it to me with zero down, zero interest rate, and he held the note for five years, which is unbelievable. It was very powerful. So I have two Airbnbs in my office building and they pay the owner the $2,500 a month principal payment. I get the free office. Because the Airbnbs pay for the office and then the seller is satisfied with his payment. So it's like a it's another like how ha- like hack that you can create inside of a seller finance subject to him.
0: You're showing that there's a broad spectrum of ways to invest in real estate and make it profitable and make a win-win situation for everyone. Yeah. And
1: I'm more attracted to the complexity. I might have explained it a little complex, but I like the complexity of dissecting all these problems and it's like uh, mad scientist, like, what? How can I make this work and work for everybody? I enjoy trying to figure out the answer to it. So, that I've always gravitated to the complex, like, even in corporate America, I like the complex sales, the harder deals to do. I should probably take the easier route, but I do enjoy seller finance subject too and doing wraps.
0: It's do the numbers work? Both parties agree to it, and will it go through legal? Mario, what would you say your, your niche would be right now?
1: I would say my niche is wraps, like the rent-to-own business. I understand it really well. We have the right council that helps us put all the paperwork together. We have a good flow of the dispo side. As opposed to wholesaling, we have a great group of buyers on the, the rent to own base. So I like, I really do enjoy knowing when we acquire something, the numbers make sense. We already have a buyer lined up. And it that's where I say our niche is. It's a good niche.
0: You said dispo. We're talking about dispositions, which is how you take a property, put it through transactions, and then you send it to somebody else. You're basically disposing of the property in one way or another by either selling it or turning it into a rental or flipping it, right?
1: Yes, absolutely. I think it gives you a little bit of the elements of flipping it. When you do a wrap, it's like you're flipping it to yourself, you're keeping it for cash flow, and then there's that equity on the back end that you can either cash in or hang on to it until they cash out. So I that's
0: the part that I do and I do like about wraps. So what's on the horizon? We talked about yeah. commercial multifamily specifically, but is that what is that what you got in the future? Yeah,
1: real estate related, yes. I'm looking at yeah, commercial real estate. That's really what my next thing I'd like to get into. I do have a ton of rentals that I own and they're all over Salem County, Burlington County. Mercer County. So as I see our service calls, our handyman all over the place, why not have one place? It's easier. And I think it's more a fear that I've had in the past of entering multi, but it's pretty similar. It's numbers and making sure that you add value and all those dynamics to
0: it. I started jumping into multifamily recently and I found that it's almost easier because it's the same (laughs) amount of work. If you have one person who moves out you still have five or six or 10s left in the building that you don't have to worry about versus a single family home where if one person moves out, you're a hundred percent. Yeah. Which is never a good thing. Mario, what's one thing you learned as your wealth increased? One
1: thing I learned is whether it's a buyer's market or a seller's market, there's always an opportunity to make money. You don't have to run away from buying when it's a seller's market or just buy when it's a buyer's market. I see a lot. People hang out and wait for markets to shift and change. I just say that's a phobia that people may have or fear that is not real. And you can, oh, as long as you buy at the right price and where the where it is, and if it's a good deal, then you're in good shape by underwriting it the right way.
0: A friend of mine, Brian Briscoe, and it, I know that he didn't coin the phrase, but he says it all the time. He signs his emails this way: "It's don't wait to buy real estate. Buy real estate and wait." I know a lot of people say that, and I know I've heard it before, but I give him the credit for it because he's the one who turned me on to it. Good day, High Flyers. Do you need help with your business? We can help you get out of a jam or even get you started in real estate. Check us out at BudEvans.com. Being good at sales isn't a natural talent. There is no it factor. Sales is identifying what the prospect needs, then providing the solutions to their problem. This is the process. Check out Disruptors.com slash high where sales disruptors are looking to make 100 millionaires. Thanks. Now back to the show. Let's go into the soaring four. The soaring four are four questions that can help someone who's just starting out achieve new heights. What is one thing that you use to keep you motivated? What I use to keep me motivated? I would say it depends on what
1: place you are in life. Where I'm at in my life is building a legacy for my son and my family to uh, be members. Remembered for what I put together. And it's really something stupid, but of saying my son, when he gets old enough, he's like, damn, my dad was a bad fucking guy. Bad, he's a bad man. <laughs> so that's only that's the motivation of that. If you ask me uh, when I was 25, I would say to be a, bil- a millionaire and live in a skyscraper. So where I'm at in my life is really legacy. That's my motivation.
0: What is one thing that you learned that completely changed your mindset?
1: Delegation. Instead of trying to do every single thing yourself, is delegation and being vulnerable to say you suck at delegating. Is I? It took me a long time to admit it, but delegating. If you, the more you can delegate and become the coach and be able to coach and through things instead of doing it for them, it's going to help you have better peace of mind by delegating.
0: That's a great answer. What tools do you use to keep you on track? To be honest, my wife. <laughs>
1: no, I. She does keep me on track. She's like the she holds me accountable. But I would say I like Trello. Trello for I'm a new investor. The way I would do it is, and I use it to this day. I'll put to-dos in process and completed. Super simple. And if it's to-dos, it's things that I haven't touched or looked at. If it's in process, it's things that I'm say working on. And then when I slide it over, I feel like I completed something. And that's like a digital way that I like to, but I also cross-reference it with like this thing too for like every day. Yeah. So I'm like old school where I like the right things. I'm sure you're like that. Yeah. Right thing. And I do a digital thing as well. But I yeah, so I say Trello if I'm I've adapted it to Trello because it allows me to like still keep track And sometimes our old school ways, it could be pages buried that it's easier to have it online.
0: We use Asana here. Very similar to Trello, almost exactly Mm -hmm. the same. And we have different taskers Mm -hmm. for each person. If you had to start over today, what would you change?
1: I would change the way I started. I would go directly to either a real estate expert that knows exactly what he's doing or latch onto an underwriter and someone who knows how to underwrite run comps and is an expert at knowing what a deal looks like because I bought some bad deals in the beginning because of not knowing or have not having a mentor. Either a mentor or a really good underwriter for a hard money lending company or a person that just like spits out numbers and can say this is a deal, not a deal, the DSCR doesn't make sense. That would be the thing I would do over again by going to the number of people. Now
0: Mario, if somebody wanted to reach out to you and have a conversation, how would they do that?
1: Yeah, I would say you could, uh, my, my name, Mario Lancioni. you could go on uh, Facebook, Instagram. I also have a YouTube that I've started putting like shorts up and stuff. And I create, I explain like wraps in like 30 seconds and go through real life scenarios of HUD documents that I personally did of what a wholesale deal looks like. So it's not fugazi. So you, I will walk you through like different things just to help people, man. I just think it it lets them know that, hey, there's real guys out here that know they're doing real deals. They know what they're doing. And that's what I try to convey when I put stuff up online.
0: The farther I got into this business, the more I learned it was about collaboration, not so much competition, which is why I reach out to guys like you on Facebook and have conversations.
1: I love that, bud. So right. Collaboration, man, over competition. Absolutely, man. Yes.
0: Mario, I really appreciate you being on today. Thank you very much. It's going to provide some great content and great information for people who are just starting out. And thank you. You're welcome, bud. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Good day, High Flyers. Do you need help with your business? We can help you get out of a jam or even get you started in real estate. Check us out at BudEvans.com. You know, being good at... Being good at sales isn't a natural talent. There is no it factor. Sales is identifying what the prospect needs, then providing the solutions to their problem. This is the process. Check out disruptors.com slash aim high, where sales disruptors are looking to make 100 millionaires. Thanks for listening today. Until next time we meet, aim high.